KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Everyone likes to say we're a nation of immigrants, right? But guess what? If you look at our history, we are also a nation that's contributed to our own immigration problem. We have a history of demonizing the newer immigrant, the person who does not look like us, does not come from the country that we came from, does not sound like us. So how is this history playing out in respect to the immigration issues the United States is facing today? When we talk about comprehensive immigration reform, there really are so many factors at play. What are the fundamental rights that we want to recognize and values we want to preserve and protect in this country? I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio in depth, Sarah Pauletti. She is the director of the Transnational Legal Clinic and a practice professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School, looking at our immigration problems and what caused them in the first place. So, to start, how would you rate the state right now of the U.S. immigration system? It's no secret that our immigration system is failing. Right. It has been failing. It is continuing to fail. It is not meeting the needs of this country. It's not meeting the needs of migrants. And much needs to be done to overhaul and reform our system of immigration. One of the big reasons that the border is a problem is because if you try to come into the country, the proper channels to the point of what you just talked about, it is incredibly lengthy, and a lot of people don't have that type of time. So what are some things that people need to understand that maybe have gotten lost in political gamesmanship and political punditry? There are two myths. One is, yes, the duration that it takes for people to get through the system is really not feasible for many individuals, right? Even if you look at, you'll see employers complaining about the temporary labor visa programs or the high-skilled labor visa programs, right, employment-based visa programs, and the cost associated with those visa programs uh, and the amount of work that it takes for those to come through. And there is a limited number, right? There is a cap on all of our visas. So that creates a problem. It creates a backlog. And it means that to the degree that we have a system of employment-based migration and employment-based immigration, the system is not meeting and not keeping up with the labor demands. But the other reality is for the overwhelming majority of people you are seeing coming to the border, there is no line for them to get in, right? There is no pathway for them to come into the United States legally or otherwise, right? So they are really forced to appear and present themselves at the border and say, listen, I, I need help. I am in a dire situation. My security is at risk. My family security is at risk. My children are at risk. I need help. And that's what you're seeing at the border. I think from a political, purely political perspective, the greatest myth that's been, been perpetuated within the Democratic Party is if we just strengthen the border and prove that we are tough on border enforcement, we will then get concessions and get the other side to agree to stuff like DACA, right? Programs like a pathway to legal permanent residency and citizenship for the so-called dreamers, children who are brought here without legal status and who now, you know, the Obama administration sought to provide them 
with a temporary legal status after Congress failed on several attempts to do so. So I think those are, as a political calculation, that's the other really flawed political calculation that has perpetuated the situation that we're in. How much of a problem is the idea that we do one thing under the Obama administration and we do it under executive order or instituting rules and stuff like that? And then whether you agree or disagree, the Trump administration comes in and we basically do the polar opposite. And now the Biden administration comes in and we're doing something different. It can't help a giant bureaucracy to keep switching directions every four or eight years when it comes to getting serious work done. That's absolutely right. So policies and practices are constantly in flux. Um, I think we saw less shifts and dramatic shifts during the Obama administration. What the Obama administration did was to say, okay, we recognize that there are people who are here who are unauthorized. But we also recognize that we don't have the resources, nor is it in our interest, to try to deport all of the people who are here. So what is in the national interest is to provide some legal status and ability to work for those people, right? But that was a very thought-through, intentional policy that had precedent in the statute and in the case law. What we saw under Trump was undoing that, and then a slew of executive orders aimed at shutting down our borders and severely restricting immigration. And then what followed were all the legal challenges. So then we're in this constant flux of what's one court going to say and what's another court going to say. And we cannot pretend that the courts are not and have not been acting as political actors in this process. And so we have seen forum shopping and where these cases are brought. We have seen one court rule one way and another court rule another way. And now we have the Biden administration coming in and saying, okay, we're not going to do things by executive order. We are going to go through a rulemaking process. And now we're seeing those being challenged again in the courts. And so that does leave the agencies in a constant game of playing catch up in terms of what's the policy today, right? What's the court going to say today to say nothing of the impact that it has on the migrants themselves? If we genuinely wanted to make a good faith, serious effort to make the system work much, much smoother, is it the executive? Is it Congress? Is it the courts? Like, Who really would hold the cards here to make this go the way it should? Ultimately, it's Congress, right? Ultimately, responsibility lies with Congress to reform the Immigration and Nationality Act, right? We are dealing with the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. We are a different country. It has gone through dramatic changes, right? Congress has amended it in 1996. We saw some dramatic changes specifically dealing with border enforcement in our immigration laws that made it much harder for individuals to get status. It also moved border enforcement into the interior. So individuals who are in the United States who may have fallen out of status because they were visa overstays or who didn't have status but otherwise have an employer who wants to sponsor them 
or who have married and have U.S. citizen children and a U.S. citizen spouse and who are contributing members don't have the same means to apply for lawful status because of what they did and what happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. That is, right, congressional action that has made it much harder. We need to go back and really look at what those provisions are and whether they make sense. Congress is also responsible for the caps on the number of visas that are available. And those caps don't speak, again, to the realities of current migration trends. They don't speak to the realities of the demographics and the population in this country. Uh, And so we really need to go back, and it really is it is on Congress. And so that's why we're seeing executive action is because Congress has failed to act. The courts are brought in as backstops to preserve basic fundamental rights, but but really it falls upon Congress. So now let's approach this in a perfect world if we were given the keys to the kingdom and let's try to really address this. Where would you start? Like if you had the chance to make Real, significant, serious change to the immigration system. What's at the top of the list? That's a hard question. And I think, you know, the challenge with immigration law is it implicates so much. And so when we talk about comprehensive immigration reform, there really are so many factors at play. I I come at this with a training as a human rights attorney Um, And so I'm like, what are the fundamental rights that we want to recognize and values we want to preserve and protect in this country? And so how do we ensure a system that promotes and preserves due process and (laughs) non-discrimination? But then really, what are the needs of the migrants who are fleeing to this country? What are the labor needs that they can fill? And how can we recognize that We benefit when we recognize individuals for the value they contribute for who they are and not try to demonize and other them, right? So it is, right? Are these caps reasonable? Do they make sense? Why are they even in place? Why do we have caps that are based on what country you are from? Why don't we allow a system of migration that respects family and family unity. And if we want to talk about family values, then why don't we respect family unity and promote family unity in a system of immigration? Um, And I think, you know, there has been a move towards, especially in this administration, a move towards expanding the temporary labor migration programs, particularly for low-wage workers. And that has been seen as one option, one solution to the crisis at the border, right? We'll provide temporary pathways to come into the United States to work, to earn money, and then you can go back home when we decide we don't need you anymore. But what that really does is it perpetuates a system of an exploited and exploitable workforce that does nothing to benefit the wages of workers across the United States. It does nothing to meet the long-term labor realities of our country And it really does very little to advance the situation of rights that's causing people to flee in the first place in their home country. And the way that system is currently done, very few people get to bring their family members. So it is sort of promoting ongoing family separation, which creates further problems down the road. 
We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Sarah Pauletti right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. We are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation about immigration with Sarah Pauletti, director of the Transnational Legal Clinic and practice professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania Carey Law School. What are a couple of things that would be relatively simple things in the big picture that would make a lot of difference. So I think, yes, increasing the number of judges, ensuring the independence of the immigration judges would have a significant difference in allowing people to move through the system, right? And allowing greater efficiency in in the system. I also think you we have to acknowledge that we have a huge issue around immigrant detention. And we have for-profit corporations that are running detention centers and profiting off the detention of immigrants. And it is much, much harder for an immigrant who is in detention to pursue their claims, legitimate claims for relief to which they're legally entitled for all of the reasons that come with being isolated, in detention, removed from legal services, unable to access family and resources and evidence and prepare for their hearing. So there's there's that whole system of enforcement that I think is is highly problematic and that needs to be addressed. You know, the low-hanging fruit is obviously a more permanent form of DACA relief, right? Allowing individuals who have been here since they were children to have a pathway towards lawful status. This is their home. This is the only home many of them have known. They have succeeded. They have continued through. And, and so we want to recognize, recognize that and grant them a form of legal status. So I think finding ways to develop pathways to legal status for people who are already here is critical. And it's supported by the majority of voters, right? By the majority of the U.S. population, these programs are supported. If we want to expand our temporary labor migration programs, we need to do so in a way that recognizes the contribution of the workers and provides them with a pathway towards legal status and provides them with what people talk about as visa portability, right? When they come on these visas, their visas are tied to their employer. That means that if their employer is highly abusive and they complain, or they leave the job, they lose their legal status. And then they're subject to deportation, which subjects them to a 10-year bar to ever re-entering the country. Um, And so we need to give people the opportunity to say, this employer is really abusive, and so I need to be able to take my visa and go somewhere else so that I'm not trapped with this employer. And I need to be able to bring my family here because families sustain individuals and I need to be able to have that and a pathway to lawful status. Not everyone's going to stay. Some people will go back, but we need to create those opportunities to allow individuals to invest in the communities in which they are living. Should the bureaucracy itself in a perfect world be streamlined? Is part of the problem there's just so much apparatus that it just at times just kind of falls on top of each other? There is a lot of apparatus and competing political interests at play. So I think there's there's the bureaucracy, but then there are the interest groups. And so I think those things are in conflict with each other. There is some of that, right? How do we streamline 
the bureaucracy to make it more effective. And I think there has been some efforts under the Biden administration to do that work with the with the current USCIS director. This used to all operate under the Department of Justice. So when people say abolish ICE, it sounds like this radical idea, but ICE didn't exist <laughs> until 2003. So we had everything operating under the Department of Justice before. It was all within one federal agency. Now you've got these branches of the Department of Homeland Security involved. If it's a labor-based visa, it goes through the Department of Labor. Many visas actually then have to get processed by the consulate offices. So that's through the Department of State. So you do have all of these different actors and things, agencies and things do get lost in the system. So I do think, yes, there are ways to streamline this. And I think approaching this much more from a what are the immigration services we want to provide rather than this is a matter of national security. Because as we've seen, that has not really played out over time. Are there things we can do to help other countries so that those people never have to come to us? Are we doing enough to kind of fight the root causes of a lot of this immigration? I don't think we're doing enough. And we've seen USAID get much more involved in the discussions around immigration in this administration. But it is important to look back at history and recognize and own and acknowledge our role in the root causes of migration, right? And so if we look at our history in Latin America, it is not the most positive history in terms of what we have done to weaponize that region. Um, and so we need to kind of recognize and own that. We haven't figured out how to control gun violence in our own country, so I'm a little wary to say that we go into <laughs> countries in the Northern Triangle and 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 address it address it there. But I think that yes, more needs to be done. But that is not a substitute to responding to the immediate needs of individuals. And I think the other reality is that climate change is impacting everything. And so where you had agrarian communities, yes, it may be economic because they can no longer make a living, but it also means where resources are more scarce, conflict around resources becomes greater. As opportunities disappear, conflict around the opportunities that exist becomes a greater cause of insecurity. And so when we say people come for economic reasons versus personal security, I think that often creates a false dichotomy in what's really driving people to leave. That those personal security is a much more complex calculus for individuals and the decisions that people make to leave the country and leave their homes are different. And the people who really just wanna to come to the United States to come to the United States, they're often the people who can afford to come through a student visa. And then they get here on a student visa, and then they can afford all the ways to find a pathway in, if they wanted to find a pathway in. Recognizing what's at the source of people's decision to leave their home country and come to the United States requires a deeper understanding of 
situations in country and a more nuanced understanding of um, what the conditions are on the ground and what the motivations are of individuals. As someone who considers himself a little bit of an armchair studier of history, we have worked really hard in many different situations to make immigration as difficult as possible. And I'm not just talking the last 20 years, go back centuries. Like, it seems to me there's kind of this, the America that we like to project and aspire to be and the America that we really kind of are day to day. Am I being unfair when it comes to immigration? You are not being unfair. John Stewart did a wonderful clip many, many years ago where he said, we are a nation of immigrants that has always hated the youngest generation of immigrants, right? The newest generation of immigrants. And yes, we have a history of demonizing the newer immigrant, right? The person who does not look like us, does not come from the country that we came from, does not sound like us. Uh, and that has continued to this day. Now, the legal system has made, has made it much more difficult, right? So in terms of the ability to legally get to the United States, that has become much harder. But the welcome that we give to, to new immigrants has, has sadly not changed over history. Do you have any confidence that we'll start to get it right? I would hope that the members of Congress who are poll watchers will see that immigration was not the issue that people voted on in the last election. And I would hope that our representatives, both at the executive level and in Congress, will stop acting from a position of fear on immigration. And as long as we keep our focus on the border and migrants arriving at the border and the needs of individuals at the border, we are not going to move forward. And I I like to be optimistic. <laughs> um, I am always the resident cynic on comprehensive immigration reform. I would like to be optimistic. Employers are demanding it. Labor groups are demanding it. Religious leaders are demanding it. And so it's really time for us to, to act in a positive way. The last round of actions in, in the House of Representatives and electing their speaker gives me great pause on, on my any possible optimism. But I would like to think that we can move past that and see some positive change in our immigration laws. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>